So this week I went to a drive-in theater to go see that new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. You know, the one starring Denzel Washington's son. And um, I had some thoughts. Also, I'm really sorry that I called Denzel Washington's son, who was one of the stars of this movie, Baby Denzel. He's not Baby Denzel. What is that man's name? I don't know. John David Washington. Okay. Kudos to you, sir. Kudos to you. You had to ask us what his name is. Uh, Baby Denzel. He should go by that. It's catchy. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, he's, I'm sure he's thrilled. Thrilled. <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week how coronavirus is changing the movie industry. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. And as already mentioned, this week we are going to the movies. Except, actually, right now, most of us aren't. Not really. I mean, I did see Tenet at a drive-in, but that doesn't even really count because I left early. Anywho, this episode, we're going to get into the business of movies and how that business survives a pandemic. As we all know by now, the movie industry has been hurting. Many theaters in the U.S. are still shut down. And who knows when we'll once again be able to experience the joy of a packed theater and that buttery, buttery popcorn and the ice cold soda and the laughing together and crying together. Ugh, I miss it. And the movie industry itself is missing all of that as well because they're bringing in a lot less money. You know, speaking of Tenet, it was estimated that it should have earned about $50 million domestically in its first weekend of release. But of course, that opening weekend this summer was not normal. This year is not normal. And Tenet only made about $20 million at the American box office in its first weekend. Less than half of what was expected. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. And still, Tenet had the biggest movie opening in the U.S. since March. And that might be the high point for the biz for the entire year. The summer blockbuster season, it is over, if it ever actually started. So where does that leave us? And where does that leave Hollywood? To help answer those questions, I called up two people who answer questions like that for a living. Adam B. Vary and Angelique Jackson. They are both reporters at Variety. Hi to you both. Welcome. Hi, Sam. Thank you for Hi. having us. <laughs> of course. It's so exciting to it's be so here. It's so exciting to have you. Virtually. Yes. You know, so First Adam, question I asked them was what letter grade they would give the health of the movie industry in this time of coronavirus. Well, I guess, I mean, not to split hairs, but part of what is complicated about what's going on right now is it sort of depends on what you mean by the film industry. One of the things uh. that the that I think the industry is really confronting is what do you mean by a movie? What is a motion picture? Is it something that you see in a theater? Is it something that is a, roughly two hours in length? Um, if it's yeah. the latter, then the movie business is, I would give it probably like a, a C minus just because there have been several releases on streaming that have done pretty well like the old guard and trolls world tour that <laughs> trolls have, world tour yeah <laughs> is trolls that, world well is trolls world tour the future of the movie industry well i mean at, at the time it came out it was uh, according to universal when it was released it was the most successful uh video on demand release of all time but 
you know, so like you could say that Trolls World Tour is the Avengers Endgame of video on demand. <laughs> wow, um, that says a lot about us. <laughs> that does say a lot about where we're it at. Does. If, if you're asking about where the theatrical business is, though, I don't know about you, Angelique, but I would have to give it like a D minus to an F. I just think that there's wow. there's nothing there. You know, after Tenet didn't do well, Warner Brothers moved Wonder Woman 1984 from an October release date to Christmas. I have zero confidence that that movie oh, yeah. is gonna actually going to open again. Yeah, I don't think it's going to open on Christmas. All right, Angelique, you're great. I, I would agree. I would. I, I feel like a D minus to an F does make sense for theatrical because all of the factors are just so unclear at the moment. Like Adam, I don't necessarily believe we're going to see Wonder Woman at Christmas. Do I wish that we could? You know, normally that's our kind of second big release schedule after the summer is is those holiday movies when everyone's at home, so everybody's going to the movies. I don't know that we're going to, yeah. you know, actually be in a place to go out and do something like that. Totally. Which makes me sad because, like, I love the post-Thanksgiving dinner, post-Christmas dinner movie. One of my favorite movie-going experiences of the last several years was going with my Aunt Betty after Thanksgiving one year to see Widows. It was just yes. a perfect day. <gasps> Widows. It was a perfect day. Yeah, my mom did that. It was the best. <laughs> we were Widows. the only people in the theater. Love yes. Widows. This is my tribe. My, my, my fellow <laughs> Widows lovers. Can we just spend the rest of the time talking about how Widows just got snubbed by everyone oh, yeah. and what is wrong with the world? That yes. movie is so good. We're going to come back to that. Widows <laughs> Hive. Sure. Widows Hive. Yes, Widows <laughs> Hive. So I want to have you both help me understand what the breakdown is right now for new movies or 2020 releases. From what I'm seeing, there are like three big options. Your movie goes to the theater on a lot fewer screens. Your movie goes straight to online, video on demand, streaming, whatever. Or your movie is pushed back to later this year or next. What's the breakdown amongst those three from what you see right now? So like Adam already mentioned, you see films like Wonder Woman, which have continued to push. Um, now it's at Christmas, but then you see Universal pushing a film like Candyman um, immediately to 2021. Um, we have, you know, recent reporting that it's possible that Soul, which is supposed to be a huge Pixar release for Disney coming in November 20th, could end up on Disney Plus like Mulan did. Um, uh. It's very much this whole experience of we're not sure because the movie that's opening opposite Soul, No Time to Die, the Bond film, is still expected to hit theaters. Huh. But for the last Bond, for Daniel Craig's last outing, we're really going to end up with like a tenant level release where it makes just a small fraction of what it's supposed to come out as. I don't know if exhibitors and theater owners are really going to be um, going for that come late November. I mean, the umbrella overarching all of those three options that you mentioned, Sam, is international distribution. You know, uh -huh. the COVID response in the United States has been, you know, a garbage fire on top of a larger garbage fire on top of a the state of California on fire. Um, <laughs> other countries had handled it, maybe one could say, better. And because of that, they're starting to be able to release movies into th movie theaters on a more significant scale. So, for example, Tenant has made $200 million globally, including its grosses in the U.S., which is still not nearly what Warner Brothers would want for that movie, but it's certainly much a much healthier gross than what its domestic grosses might look like. As far as your ratio goes, I think right now what you're going to see more and more and more is either movies being pushed later into 2021 or movies going straight to VOD. Yeah. 
Question for you both. You know, we're all talking about how this new normal may just end up being normal for much longer than we think. When it comes to movies, do the changes that we see happening right now, will they actually maybe be long term? Like if viewers are getting used to video on demand, why ever release movies first in theaters ever again? Uh, well, I mean, first, let's just say that's Christopher Nolan's worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> so don't say it too loud. He might hear you. If he's a um, listener, I'm happy either way. <laughs> it's really hard to say because a lot of these movies really do need a theatrical release to make up these massive budgets that they have already gone into production with. So a lot of these movies in this 2020, 2021, even some 2022 space, if they don't come out in theaters, even, you know, paying $30 for the rental or for buying them, isn't going to come anywhere close to what they really need. Um, so I mean, I think there are going to be some changes that do stay um, down the road because I think there have definitely been a lot of the smaller um, production companies and, and distributors that have found some success getting these movies, you know, especially as audiences get more used to watching things at home, whereas you would like, you know, turn on your cable and see a couple of these, like, you know, direct TV only releases. And you're like, I don't really know how to pay for that, buy that, whatever. You know, now we have become a lot more attuned to using things that way. You know, our, our grandparents are now getting on Instagram to watch verses, which is not a movie, but you know, <laughs> but it is cinematic. It is cinematic. It is, and, and you even <laughs> just see the way that something like that, that started as like an Instagram thing with all of the, um, issues that that would have with people, you know, using their Wi-Fi in the middle of hurricanes, Nelly. Um, yeah. But <laughs> you see them; they see them evolving into something that is much more finely produced and cinematic. There, um, that's I think just an indicator of the way that we maybe are moving more towards that digital space yeah. for more of these releases. So then, movie theater owners are kind of just gonna end up. In dire straits, maybe. I mean, they are. They, they, there's no ending up. They're there. They're yeah, in dire yeah. straits. This situation yeah. is really the worst nightmare for movie theaters. You know, the trend lines were already not looking great for movie exhibition. Like it really hit its heights in the '90s. That's when movie theaters were really at their peak of power and and prestige and uh, revenue. And ever since, and I then, would argue that's when all of culture was at its peak. <laughs> I missed that decade. <laughs> Well, well Sam, you're just revealing your age there. But um, the <laughs> uh, the um, but ever since then, even though revenues have gone up, the actual tickets sold, the trend lines have been flat to negative, and so you know just fewer people are were have been going to see movies for the last twenty years, really. But this has been that sort of like massive inflection point that could radically change people's habits. Yeah. You know, we're in a time where it seems as if everyone in this industry is suffering. Everyone's kind of a loser right now. But are there any winners in this 2020 pandemic movie industry economy? Like I was thinking this morning, well, is this maybe a good time for indie films? They already never thought that they would make that much money. They're already relatively cheaper to make. Is this like the time for smaller movies to shine? Uh, okay. <laughs> kind of. I mean, honestly, probably the biggest winner right now is is Netflix. Yes. Um, yeah. Netflix across movies and television, it is 
the easiest thing for people to point to as what they've been doing while they're in quarantine. They have been spending their time, you know, watching these big releases. And honestly, a lot of them have been really big directors, really big projects, really big stars. Um, everything from the old guard, like Adam mentioned before, to also Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. They are coming with really, really strong content, a lot of it that was intended to be in theaters. So it's just kind of keeping the ball rolling for them in this, you know, domination that was kind of weird in the past years. Because obviously, you know, last year they had a ton of um, films that were more in the awards consideration with like The Irishman and Marriage Story. And they still have more of those kind of coming down the pipeline. But they've really kind of been owning this pandemic space, especially when it comes to films. Yeah. Yeah. Also, The Old Guard was so good. I love that movie. So good. So good. So good. So good. I want to tell you guys. So I didn't want to share my tenant story too early on because I didn't want to tank the conversation. But uh, full disclosure, y'all, I went to go see Tenant this week, last night actually, at a drive-in theater. How did that go? So let me let me tell you. So I am in San Antonio. I had to drive to New Braunfels, Texas, to go to the Stars and Stripes Drive-In Theater. I had my barbecue and my little Prius, and it was immediately depressing. The lot was like less than half full, so it just looked sad. Uh, and then the previews start up, and they're giving these dates of release for all these movies, and they're just like, that ain't gonna come out. That's not gonna come out. That's not gonna happen. And then the movie starts, and like everyone kind of says about Tenet, it's really pretty, but kind of confusing. So I lost attention pretty early on in the film, and then I just ended up watching the family three cars over, because they were so cute, and the kids were like running around, and then it started to rain. (laughs) So I left early. (laughs) That was my Tenet story. (laughs) 2020. A gripping film. A gripping film. (laughs) I went from being so jealous to like immediately equally depressed. That's yeah. so sad. I mean, yeah. Also, when it's time to go back to the movies, well, we have lost all decorum. Like, are we just going to walk in without pants on uh, and like our cell phones on full volume? Like, we're going to like become movie savages by the end of this thing. I think you can just cut out movies and that that sounds about right to me yeah (laughs) on that note it's time for a break uh coming up lavar burton yes (gasps) lavar burton he uh talks about his podcast the one where he reads stories to you and he also tells us why reading now more than ever is fundamental uh, I think I tossed wrong. Hold on. Okay, Janae, help me out. Did I do that toss We're too early or too LeVar late? We're opening for LeVar Burton? Y'all are opening for LeVar Burton. I had no idea. Y'all are opening for LeVar Burton. All right, coming up, my two amazing panelists play my favorite game, Who Said That? And then we'll hear from LeVar Burton. Seriously. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Allbirds, who makes shoes, socks, and undies that are not only comfy, but also carbon neutral. Their average carbon footprint per product is equal to running five dryer loads or driving 19 miles in a car before it's offset to zero. They measure these things because you can't reduce until you know what you produce. With Allbirds, feel confident knowing you're wearing a product that's doing right by your feet and the planet. Learn more about their sustainable practices and find your pair at allbirds.com today. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Macmillan Podcasts with Driving the Green Book. Award-winning broadcaster Alvin Hall and activist Janae Woods Weber take you on a road trip from Detroit to New Orleans, offering sharp insight and powerful testimony from black Americans who used the Negro Motorist Green Book during the height of segregation. Hear both heartbreaking and inspiring stories that give critical context to life as a black American today. Listen on Apple wherever you get podcasts. The way things are going right now, even if you can keep track of what's happening in the news, it's hard to know why it's happening, what it really means. That's why we have created a daily podcast that answers your questions about the news in about 10 minutes every weekday. It's called Consider This, new episodes every weekday afternoon from NPR. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm your host, Sam Sanders, joined this week by two guests both journalists from Variety magazine, Adam B. Vary and Angelique Jackson. Are y'all ready to play a game? As ready as I'll ever be. Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I love the trepidation that my guests always have around this game. It's the simplest, funnest, cutest game. It's called Who Said That? Who said that? All right, this game is quite simple. I share a quote from the week of news. You either got to guess who said it or guess the story that I'm talking about. Uh, there are no buzzers. Just yell out the answers. And keep in mind, the winner gets nothing. None of this matters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here is the first quote. Tell me who said it. Vibe check. Yas queens, like ourselves, we want to go to bars. We want to drink, hook up, do our TikToks. I get it. I'm not going to preach to you like some celebrity. Blah. This is a convo where I talk and you shut up and wear your mask. Paul Rudd. Yes, Paul Rudd. Nailed it. Yes. Adam, can you tell this Paul Rudd story? It is hard to explain it for people who aren't well-versed in internet. Uh... So basically what Paul Rudd did was a PSA about uh, the importance of wearing a mask uh, aimed at millennials millennials. and Gen Zers. So Qualms asked me, he's like, Paul, you gotta help. What are you, like, 26? And I didn't correct him. So fam, let's real talk. Masks, they're totally beast. So slide that into your DMs and twitch it. Fully embracing all of the supposed millennial Gen Z slang that has come from the internet. Uh, First of all, by pretending he's their age, which he actually can. He's Gen X, right? He, yeah, he's in his 50s. This man and his um, man is in his 50s. <laughs> he's, he's Gen everything. He is he has clearly been cryogenically frozen. Yes. He's our and, pop culture Highlander. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also it just makes me question who this video is for. Like Paul Rudd is not a millennial and he's dabbling in actually some Gen Z stereotypes to make this video. Like at one point he calls Billie Eilish. But I really don't think that Gen Z is looking to Paul Rudd for guidance. Is this really just for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to tell himself that he's cool? I mean, I don't know. Paul Rudd always has like a a resurgence because every time someone watches Clueless again and then sees him (laughs) in real time, they're like, I'm sorry, how did he manage to age backwards? So they just had their big anniversary just a few weeks ago. So I I don't know. Maybe Gen Z, maybe the TikTok Gen is is actually feeling Paul Rudd. Okay. Sam coming with the Paul Rudd, Andrew Cuomo double shade. (laughs) Hey, listen, listen. To to use some Gen Z slang there. (laughs) Uh, Who got that one? Adam, you got that one. Okay, you got one point. Next quote. 
uh, for this one, just tell me what I'm talking about. What big story from the week? As far as we can tell, only life can make phosphine. There was a big story about life and phosphine found outside of Earth. Where was this found? Outside of Earth. Uh, I ever, is this it's um, planet Mars? Keep going. Jupiter? Keep going. Pluto's not a planet Pluto's anymore, not a right? Planet. I mean, in my heart, it always is, but always. not Pluto. Keep going. Starts with the V, ends in Enos. Venus! Yeah. Yay, we did it! Thank you, you for all it. of your help. You're welcome. You're welcome. So that quote comes from Clara Sousa Silva. She's an astrophysicist at Harvard University, and she was one of the authors of this recent set of papers that talked about the discovery of a chemical in Venus's atmosphere that might indicate signs of life in Venus. The chemical was phosphine. And the New York Times says that phosphine is found in our intestines, in the feces of mm. badgers and penguins and in some deep sea worms. It's also poisonous. But seeing that makes smart science folks say that there could be life on Venus, which begs my next question. If there were, would y'all go? I mean, we might have to, so I mean, <laughs> might as well give it a shot. Well, first, for, I mean, not to be crude, Sam, but first of all, Venus is enormously hot. And second of all, basically what you just laid out there is that the atmosphere of Venus is basically a bunch of flatulence, like, <laughs> swirling around. Yeah. If I have that right. Yeah. So I'll take, I'll take a pass. <laughs> uh, last quote. You guys are definitely going to get this one. It's been all over the place. Oh, gosh. The quote is, look. It was a very interesting weekend, full of lessons learned. You know, Chris things happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were a little too enthusiastic on that one. <laughs> um, it was an interesting weekend. I think that's the only way to describe it. When you log on and you see it trending and you're like, what is this about? Yeah, tell us what it's about. Uh, unpack the story for us, Angelique. Sure. I mean, I, I, I'm the one who jumped up and down a little too excitedly. Um, that quote came from this amazing exclusive live interview uh, with Tamron Hall on her daytime talk show with Captain America himself after a little um, not safe for work and I don't know if really safe for this podcast incident where he shared to his Insta story, a totally innocent, innocuous video of his family, who we all love on social media. You know, I think they're playing like heads up. Unfortunately, um, he doesn't understand that like you have to trim those videos or else everybody can see your camera roll. And there were some things on there. No, there was um, a, couple a of thing posts. on there. Well, there were, <laughs> there there were, were two things. There are two things on there. One that's more important than the other. And uh, he essentially went on Tamron Hall and more or less confirmed that the rumors are true and yes. uh, that he posted a an interesting shot. A picture yeah. of his stuff. I'm his manhood. Exactly. He saw Captain America's manhood. Let's not get around the, the, exactly. the bush here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was really interesting to see how this all happened. So most of the internet was like, oh, poor guy, that's okay. Whereas whenever pictures of a famous woman get leaked, mm -hmm. she's like attacked. It was really interesting to see the, 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 the just double standard. And I'm not mm. mad at Chris, but no. it was no. interesting. 
But that was actually really the biggest and most interesting part of all of this. But, you know, I remember just a few years ago when the horrifying hack happened and all of these female actors and entertainers were targeted and largely, you know, lambasted and ridiculed. And I believe it was maybe Kat Dennings that tweeted something along the lines of like, really interesting, huh? How, you know, all of social media is being so supportive. I hope you guys remember this next time it happens to a woman. And I really hope so. I hope that this is not is not so much an indication of the double standard with men, but maybe an indication of how far we've come in mm. the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should be keeping score, but I forgot. Uh, which one of y'all won? Angelique won. No, <laughs> okay. we tied. Well, I, I can't give myself credit. You literally said Venus. <laughs> no, I, said, I didn't say Venus at all. I said I, starts no, with V, ends with Enos. <laughs> <laughs> so we tied. You can take the we I'm trying to one. give you the win here, Angelique. Take yeah, it. Yeah, we're trying to help you out. Take the win. Thank you. You're the one. Thank he you. said he said starts with V, ends with Enos, and I still didn't say Venus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. I will accept. Thank you. This is my uh, acceptance speech. I will be back anytime um, to defend my crown. All right. <laughs> Thanks again to Adam Bevery and Angelique Jackson. They both write for Variety magazine. Listeners, coming up, my chat with LeVar Burton. Yes, LeVar Burton. For real this time. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more and get 10% off your first month. On Facebook, there are these three brothers who love guns. Say guns are overregulated. Say the NRA is too quick to compromise. And they're gaining more followers every day. They're very in-your-face and offensive, and by God, I love them for it. Listen now to the No Compromise podcast from NPR. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So I, uh, I like to read books. I was that kid growing up who got in trouble for staying up past his bedtime to read. You know, but since the pandemic hit, I can't really do it. I am stressed and I cannot focus enough to read anything that I don't have to read for work. But hearing someone read, that's a different story. I can do that. And this week, I talked to somebody who knows a thing or two about the power of hearing a story read out loud. LeVar Burton. Hello, it is an honor to talk with you. How are you? Sam Sanders, I am well, sir. I am well, as, as, as well as I can be, uh, you know. That is LeVar Burton, the, world, the LeVar Burton actor, writer, and our national person of books. Like a bunch of millennials, I grew up watching him on the kids' show Reading Rainbow, the show all about reading. And I feel like LeVar has been reading to me my whole life. And I like it. It's comforting. LeVar Burton knows I am not the only person who feels this way, which is why there's another way right now that you can have LeVar Burton read to you. 
Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. That's from his podcast called LeVar Burton Reads. The show's in its seventh season now, and it's nice. I like it. The premise of the show is beautifully simple. He reads short stories from all over the world for you to enjoy whenever you want. What I love about what you're doing with this, it's like you are reading this, but you take us into these worlds. You're doing multiple voices. Mm. There's some scoring in there. Mm-hmm. It's it's really immersive. Uh, did you start out wanting it to be that immersive or, yeah. or did oh, that yeah. develop no, over that, time? No, that yeah. was from episode one. I mean, that, that was always a, a part of it. Really, you know, I, I, I grew up in an, a military family. I'm an army brat. So we spent... Mm-hmm. Um, part of my childhood overseas. And uh-huh. the Armed Forces Radio Network at that time, we're talking the uh, mid-60s, early to mid-60s, they had a, a lot of theater of the mind programming on. Uh. Um, I really wanted to give my audience that kind of an experience where you can really disappear. You can just disappear into story for a half hour or so, um, and then go back to whatever it was you were doing before. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love the voice work you're doing in these readings. You know, you're doing some different voicing for different characters in these stories. What was the hardest voice to pull off so far, or hardest voicing? Wow. Mm. There was a dragon um, in, in, oh. in, a, in a story <laughs> this season that... Uh, <laughs> That wasn't as easy as I thought it would be to pull off. Um, But we got there in the end. I am not hungry for animal flesh. I crave rarer meat. What are you hearing from listeners? Are there certain themes or topics or stories that they really, really respond to in this podcast? Well, one of the interesting things for me is that there are... a lot of the listeners grew up on reading Rainbow. So yeah. I'm still maintaining that relationship with them around literature. Um, mm. And that's kind of cool to me. I, so I, yeah. I, I really love it when, when I hear that, um, that they enjoy still being in a relationship with me around, around literature and the written word. Yeah. That, I, I, for me, we that's pretty you. cool. We trust you. I mean, it, it, yeah, it is... Yeah, but I always told is... you not to take my word for it, Sam. <laughs> you literally did. <laughs> you literally did. <laughs> you don't have to take my word for it. You know, we live in an era of, of, of alternate facts and... and um, yes, we do. And we, we are all having a difficult time discerning what truth is because there's so much misinformation out there. And it seems that you know, people are all right with that. And, mm. and I'm not. I'm just not. And yeah. so my, my response to all of this is just to really double down, I guess, yeah. on, yeah. on the, the things that I know to be true and, and that which I genuinely believe in. And I believe in the power of, of, of word. I believe in the power of story um, and yeah. its ability to give us context for our lives. Yeah, you know, and and just and just speaking to that, you know, story being a comfort. A thing I realized listening to your show, how much I enjoyed just having someone read to me. Yeah. I think for a lot of us, after our childhood, 
no one really reads to us anymore. And it was, there was just such a comforting feeling, me at 36 years old, having LeVar Burton read to me, is there something about this weird moment in this strange year mm. that is bringing adults back into the comfort of being read to? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's not surprising to me. I have believed for a long time that one of the reasons um, why we are so comfortable with that dynamic of being read to is because of our early association with it. And when we yeah. were sitting the, in the lap of, of, of our parents or, um, you know, an, an older sibling or a relative, that sense of being loved right uh-huh and, and held and, and held and being and being filled up right mm-hmm. with with something good that that lives inside of us and and when we have the opportunity to experience that again especially during times like these when there's so much uncertainty um, I'm not I'm 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 glad that people are gravitating towards uh, storytelling as a way to calm the nervous system and 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 be a coping mechanism because I think story does in fact have healing properties stories yeah. do heal yeah you know, in this moment, and, and I'm sure you probably get this question a lot from folks because they know that you know books, but in this moment of crazy uncertainty, mm-hmm. is there a certain book or a certain world of story that you think folks can go to in this time to be a little bit comforted? You know, like, I, not to ask you what is a perfect book for 2020, but a little bit kind of maybe, yeah. Wow, what is a perfect book for 2020? Well, it all depends upon your taste, and that's the thing about yeah. literature. There's something for yeah. everybody, right? Yeah. And whatever yeah. your joint is, use it as an opportunity for self-care right now. Um, yeah. Be, yeah. Because if, if, you, if you love it, you know, you will more than likely disappear into it. And when you disappear into something, you know you are following your joy, you're following your bliss. When, when you look up and, and more time than you thought had passed while you were engaged, that's when you're really in the pocket. And so oh, yeah. it doesn't really matter to me what it is, but find something that will take you out of, out of the, the everyday and into an alternate world of some sort. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, I didn't want to totally fan out until the end of this thing, but this truly is an honor and a treat. You have been a part of my life for most of my life. Mm. Um, And I I, I just thank you for the light that you bring into the world, and I really appreciate you. And so thank you. I appreciate you too, Sam. You keep doing what you do, Mr. Sanders. Thanks again to LeVar Burton. You can listen to him read grown-up stories on his podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. The new season, season seven, it is streaming right now wherever you get your podcast. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions. Hey Sam, this is Shay. I'm up in Boston. 
And I wanted to tell you that I've been taking testosterone for nine months and my voice has gotten low enough for me to sing some of my favorite gospel songs. Go down, Moses. Hey Sam, this is Chris from Kentucky. And the best part of my week was getting an A on my first ever exam in physical therapy school. I studied pretty hard for it, so I'm feeling pretty good. Hopefully it'll set me up for the rest of the semester. Hey Sam, this is Michelle from Atlanta. The best thing that happened to me this week is finding out I'm pregnant with my first child at 47. Life begins at 47. Hey Sam, my name is Jeff and I'm a band director in Topeka, Kansas. And the best thing that happened to me this week was that for the first time in six months, I got to see and experience real live music. And it was incredible. Everybody that was there was wearing a mask, performers included, socially distanced, and outdoors. And I can't begin to tell you how much I needed that. Hi, Sam. This is Erin in Raleigh, North Carolina. The best part of my week is that I voted. I've been waiting for almost four very long years to do this. And because my home state of North Carolina was the first to send out mail-in ballots, I've already been able to vote and make my voice count. Hi, Sam. Well, the best thing that happened to me this week is that I made a new friend. At my age, I just reached 75. You don't make new friends every day, so it's kind of special. I'm lucky to live along a road where there's a small lake and many walkers enjoy it. And there's one guy I've seen for many years now uh, walking regularly about my age. And I managed the courage to say hi. And he stopped, and we chatted very enjoyably. Then we sat in my lawn chairs and chatted more. Then he left, and I had a new friend. So thanks for your show, Sam. Thank you so much for your show. Thanks. Love your show. Love the show. I'm thankful for everyone who makes it happen. Take care. Bye. Wow. I think the lesson with all of these this week is that life can continue to be full of wonderful and beautiful surprises. Thanks to all the listeners you heard there. Gary, congrats on that new friendship. Aaron, Jeff, Michelle, Chris, and Shay. So much beautiful stuff. Singing and babies and voting and live music. I love it. I got to say, the best part of my week was probably watching Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight sing and talk with each other for a few hours on their Instagram verses. I watched it with my mommy, and it was just... So sweet. I loved it so. Listeners, don't forget, you can be a part of this segment yourself. Just record your own voice on your phone, sharing the best part of your week. Send that audio to me at any point throughout any week. Email it to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right. This week, the show was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, and Andrea Gutierrez. Our intern is Star McCowan. Our fearless editor is Renana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, till next time, stay safe. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. <laughs>